edge. I'm Andy Fitzpatrick. Uh, sitting in for the missing Jennifer Bowman, who was under indictment by Congress for her Russian connections, is choir storytelling coach Duh. Robert Warner. Bob, good to see you. Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. I enjoy it every time. Coming up in a few minutes, you're going to hear my interview with Justin McCain of the Hard Rock Band Through Fire. Uh, Through Fire is performing at Lakeview Square Mall uh, on Saturday at 2 p.m., and then they'll be at the Music Factory with the band Art of Anarchy, featuring Scott Stapp, uh, who you may know from Creed. Uh, uh, they're going to be playing at the Music Factory at 6.30 uh, at 6.30 on Saturday, uh, and I interviewed uh, Justin McCain of Through Fire, so stand by for that. It's weird to not have a co-host at this point, so I'm glad you're but it's intriguing today. because I'm your sidekick, buddy. <laughs> and he's my former boss, I might add. <laughs> That's right. Well, our guest today, uh, who has already spoken, is John Sherwood, formerly of the Inquirer and uh, currently of about a million other things in the community where he turns up. John, how's it going? It's going extremely well and, and busily. I just came from one interview to another. Thanks for, uh, that's right, uh, talking about the American Museum of Magic indeed, and Marshall. Indeed, yeah. MLive wanted to talk to us, and so I was there. So what is going on at the Magic Museum? Lots of stuff. There's always something going on. Uh, it, it, behind the scenes, there are things going on uh, during the winter months, but we opened up on April Fool's Day, of course, which mm -hmm. is uh, something of a tradition with us. Uh, the Magic Museum opened for the first time in 1978 on April Fool's Day, which Bob Lund, who was the proprietor and owner, and uh, curator of the exhibits, uh, he thought that was very appropriate. Um, and we've tried to maintain that tradition. So we try to open as close to April Fool's Day as we can every year. And this year we actually were able to do it on April Fool's Day, which was awesome. And now you're doing something where every Saturday there are going to be magic shows, We've got a brand new uh, agreement with another organization to which I belong, which is Neil Foster Ring Number 89 of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Wait, which ring is that? That's number 89. <laughs> oh, 89. Okay. 89. <laughs> Uh, it is a wonderful organization of magicians, and it's from magicians from this region, uh, southern lower Michigan, uh, who we, we get together every month at the museum to talk about magic, share secrets, discuss our acts, you know, and then make plans. Uh, we've done a number of performances together. Uh, at the Frank Center in Marshall, at Great Escape in Marshall. Uh, over the last few years, uh, we've, we've uh, enjoyed a, a number of venues, but our uh, prime reason for being involved at the museum is so that we can support the museum. So we meet at the museum and we perform at the museum whenever the need arises. And the, uh, we were challenged this year. Uh, last year, Ron Carnell, one of our members, he's a gentleman from Colon and also a wonderful magician. Friend uh, of the show. A friend of the show. Uh, he has performed every, uh, once, every first Saturday uh, throughout the past year. Well, this year we were challenged to see what we could do about arranging for magic to happen live at the museum every Saturday. And so we have risen to the occasion, and we are rotating. And uh, right now, uh, Ron will continue to do his first Saturdays. I will perform on the second Saturday of the month. And the third Saturday will be taken over by Eric Sullivan of Marshall. He's also the um, kind of a He's got a lot of magic in his heritage. His father was also a wonderful magician and one of my inspirations. And uh, then Philip Haggerty, also of Marshall, will fill in on the fourth Saturday. Should there be a fifth Saturday, we will figure it out. We'll have somebody <laughs> else step in or one of us will perform. And that will happen at noon every Saturday through this year until the, about the middle of December. 
What, as a magician, what is your uh, gimmick? Please tell me you come out in a tuxedo and one of those Swami hats with a big jewel on it. I come out in one of those Swami hats <laughs> in a tuxedo. Fantastic. And I wear a bow tie. It is checkered. <laughs> and I look at the audience knowingly and tell them their innermost secrets. And <laughs> if you believe that, then <laughs> uh, then you don't need to come see my show. You know, you can have your own problems. Right. Uh, Bob looked like he had something to say. I have nothing to say. You look beautiful there. <laughs> uh, actually, no, I don't perform in that fashion. Sure. It depends on the program. Uh, sometimes I, I usually wear a suit uh, when I, I perform professionally, um, but I tend to be very casual. I, I have long ago adopted what is called the Robert Houdin style, of uh, presentation, and that is, uh, I'm a guy just like you, and when I come out, uh, I'm not a um, wizard or somebody who knows uh, innermost secrets of uh, hellfire and all that sort of thing. No, no, I'm a guy like you who just learned a, f a few cool things, as Penn and Teller often say. See, I think I think that's what magic uh need some of nowadays are those guys in wizard robes or uh devil well, costumes Phil, Phil or Haggerty, right phil does that yeah. phil does that he comes out in the wizard robes and he he performs as the grand wizard philip and so he has a persona and uh on occasion um ron carnell also arranges for performances by Gizarini, who uh, comes out and he's the world's oldest magician <laughs> and comes out and uh, does a lot of uh, wonderful stuff but forgets a lot of things right. as he goes along right very wonderful act so it depends on what character you want to play i play a character named john sherwood who <laughs> comes out and does that guy yeah that guy <laughs> yeah all right so um i wanted to uh first of all ask how everyone's lent is going Lent? <laughs> That's a surprise question. I gave up magic for the winter, uh, but now I'm back into it. Yeah, so. Well, I drove past a sign the other day um, that was at a local restaurant that I won't name, that I won't buzz market here, as uh, John Hodgman would say. But uh, the sign said, SpongeBob will love our Lent specials. And I know that neither of you have probably ever seen SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, I actually have tuned in from time to time because I have a granddaughter and I oh, need to true. keep in touch with the world as it is. Right. But SpongeBob lives and works with fish, like fish people. Well, I, I never really cataloged things. That <laughs> I see where on. you're going. Yes. <laughs> right. So, I'll take your word for that. So that just struck me as weird that SpongeBob would enjoy a let special, which I assume is a fish sandwich of some kind. That's it struck horrible. me as grim. I don't know. Indeed. So, but that's at a Battle Creek restaurant. You can go check out if you want. Hey, uh, no, I grew up Catholic, so Lent was uh, a thing that I had to consider once in a while. And um, I grew up Lutheran, which is almost Catholic. Is there? Is there? Do you give up things in in other no. in the Protestant religions? No, we we talk about you know self denial a little, but you know not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a big theme in Catholicism. I was raised in the Unitarian Church. Do you want to ask really? me anything? Yes, really. Well, we, we went over to Unitarianism, so I know a little about that, you know. I have a basic... I think Every I, portion I, you get is in units. You know, just, is this is this imperial or metric? <laughs> it's I was, incremental. I, I, th I think I was married at a Unitarian church. Cool. It's possible. You think cool. you were? We were married in a church uh, on the Olivet College campus because my brother was married there because he was an alumni and alumnus. 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 When is it alumnus? You and said this was Albion College? 
or, or, or Olivet College. Olivet, I was going to say. Yeah. And got to use it for free for that reason. And we just knew about it and knew, oh, it's a nice building. And we just wanted a nice backdrop. So we chose it. And we met with the pastor. But I, boy, <laughs> I don't remember a lot about it <laughs> because we didn't, you know. He didn't quiz you about your past sex life or anything. No, like no, nothing like that. Like I think Catholics have to go through a pretty right. intensive course. Oh, yeah. But uh, this was uh, – he did not care what our deal was That's at all. That's Unitarian. Just, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. That's so. him. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was a teacher, okay? And, sure. And that's the thing you really need to know about Unitarianism. It's not about the Holy Trinity or any of that sort right. of uh, doctrine. It's about um, – the goodness of humankind and how people can take care of each other using teachings that have uh, been handed down over the years. And it means that you can have a fish sandwich if you want one. Boy, that's... Or but you don't have to a, have it on no, Friday. No, you don't. You can have no, a big right, T-bone no. if you'd like. Right. <laughs> that's the, see, that's the other thing I could never get my mind around was um, uh, why someone who would create a universe would care what kind of animal I eat on a certain day of the week. There's no good answer. There's well, no, there's if, no satisfactory answer. If you were wandering the deserts, of, you know, of uh, Arabia back, you know, four thousand years ago, you know, what you got to eat and couldn't eat at any given time, that was very important. But these days, it's not, you know, when you're just driving down the street and you can turn into a McDonald's or whatever, it, it's not right. quite so vital. Right. Was it one day a week though? Back in the Bronze Age, was it the same? I wonder. Well, as I remember, in the Bronze Age, <laughs> because. It was, it doesn't seem like that would really save them a lot. No, but it helped restrict <laughs> portions. Sure. Yeah. If there were rules, you know, all you have to do is establish one rule and you can then get away with another. I think restricting portions is a recurring theme in uh, Christianity in general as well. Yeah, well, the Judeo-Christian <laughs> tradition, yes, sure. I would say that's a big deal. Uh, Easter is a weird thing. That's coming up soon. Uh that was a loaded remark. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of weird Christian religions, I want to know if either of you have a guess as to why we celebrate a rabbit who lays chocolate eggs <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> around the resurrection of Christ. Well, I can give you more than a guess. because One of my hobbies, because, because of my interest in magic and going back you know, to, to youth and being interested in superstition and how one creates a myth, uh, or a story, um, you find that there are a lot of associations that predate Christianity when it comes to uh, nature and such for this time of the year, when the spring starts and the equinox starts to come into play. Uh, it has a lot to do with fertility. And the word fertility is often... I like uh, where this is going. Yeah, well, <laughs> rabbits are noted for sure. being fertile, okay? So yeah. there you got your bunny right there. <laughs> Easter bunny's a pagan. Are you kidding this? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> And then we have the egg as a symbol, which is a symbol, of course, of birth, regeneration, and such. And so, and of course, the, the egg also essentially stands in for the topic of sex. And sex, fertility, you get my theme here? And sex sells. Exactly. <laughs> when so, you're trying to start a religion. So. so back in the day when Christianity was going on and, and uh, Constantine was essentially establishing it in the Roman Empire, you had a lot of efforts to... Um, borrow uh, traditions throughout uh, Europe uh, and graft them onto the new beliefs uh, and the new dogma. And so a lot of things were borrowed. And uh, one of the things having to do with these fertility symbols that were grafted onto the celebration of Christ uh, and his uh, uh, 
of resurrection. And if I could just add, it was Drake who said that OVO is everything. <laughs> I was See, about to mention that. <laughs> you took the words We're talking about Francis mouth. Drake, right? <laughs> Francis Drake? Yeah, that's right, Chuck. <laughs> We have broad cultural references. <laughs> we do. We yeah. do indeed. See, what's hilarious is that uh, I am uh, probably closer to the age of the typical Drake fan, yet I have no knowledge of any of those I didn't lyrics. know Francis Drake still had fans. I, mean, I thought I was the last one. Uh, so uh, Whenever I mention that he piloted a ship called the Golden Hind, people look at me a little differently. <laughs> Isn't that, a, isn't that uh, one of his top hits? <laughs> the Golden Hind? The Golden Hind. <laughs> yes. Uh, Eastern Unitarianism. Any different or is it the same? Not a thing. Not a thing. Not, Not a thing's a different? Thing. There's no Easter to be th- thought of, really. Oh, really? No. So it's, you didn't have the... It's not a Trinity thing. Did you have the experience as a kid with Easter? Was that... We hunted eggs. Sure. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of traditions, and a lot of them are honored in Unitarianism. Yeah, I they mean, are. yeah. My, my, my first wife and I, we belonged to a Unitarian church in Kalamazoo for a while. And uh, I noticed that one of the things is if you want to bring in your, your uh, Christian beliefs, they will be honored. I mean, that's, that's, hmm. they're not going to be sneered at by any means. Um, but let's just say that there's no dogma here that says that somebody else in the congregation has to necessarily buy into what you say or believe. Boy, why isn't this thing more popular than it is? Or maybe it is, and I'm out well, of the loop. Well, <laughs> it's been around for about 250 years. I mean, it's going back. And, of course, Robert Ingersoll and all this stuff. Now we're getting really into the strange <laughs> stuff. You know? There's a reference. So, well, Robert Ingersoll well, was one of the great Unitarian leaders. Well, what I'm driving at here, I, I, I want to make sure you both have an Easter, uh, Easter experience because we need to talk about what the best Easter candy is. Oh. <laughs> I, oh, yes. Cool. We all know, so I, go ahead. I, I mean, the correct. This is not officially an episode of the best podcast in the world, which is apparently on some kind of hiatus right now. But uh, I've been missing it so much. I know, Bob. I've been tuning in in vain. Bob, tuning in. <laughs> I turn my dial to it, and it's just not there. Uh, uh, so, I mean, the correct answer is that it's the the Reese's. Uh, well, there's there's two oh, correct God. answers. The it's Reese's already going wild. The Reese's peanut butter egg. Or the well, Cadbury cream egg. Those I, are the two. They they both sit on the pedestal of best Easter candy. Well, you know what? Bob I, is horrified. As, I know he probably would, but I will say, I will admit that as soon as you said the words "best Easter candy in the world," those were the two things that leaped into my mind. You named them. So really, you, yes, exactly. Those are the two things I just suddenly said. If I were going to eat any Easter candy right now. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, that that's, that's what I would want. But so, my, well, so I mean, the, I mean, the peanut butter egg. So mm, it's important to mm, distinguish that from the peanut butter cup yeah, because yeah, it's, it's thicker, mm-hmm. it's larger overall, mm-hmm. much more satisfying. It's yes. a meal. Yeah, yes, yes, it's it is a meal. meal. And then the, the Cadbury cream egg. I mean, that's just well, that's dessert. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there's your whole meal and dessert, Bob. You may now unleash your torrent. <laughs> you of may rage enlighten upon us. us. <laughs> enlighten us. What the hell ever happened to the bunny oh, wrapped well. in foil? Well, right? okay. But. And you have the choice of eating the ears or the ass first. Sure. <laughs> sure. I was always disappointed that the bunny was hollow. 
And it's just let's well, just face it. You can get solid ones too. What well, there? Yes, but you have to go hunting for Not them. Not in my family. Yeah. You couldn't. We're Unitarians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a symbol. The hollow faith. The, you know, the right. hollow rabbit represented the lack of dogma at the yes, center of Unitarianism. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How did you understand? You understand. I do. I have a quick Very study. <laughs> so uh, it comes from having all those uh, Catholic lessons beat into me. <laughs> You don't mean literally. <laughs> no, of course not. Thank you. Uh, although I did attend CCD uh, for a number of years, which uh, for people who don't know, CCD is a thing where uh, after school once one day a week, when all of your friends take off on their bikes, you get on a bus and go to the local parish and uh, go to a classroom and um, eat smuggled in candy with your pal while the teacher tries to teach things about Catholicism. That that was my CCD experience. What is CCD? It's not unlike confirmation class in Lutheran faith. Okay. You, know, you have to go somewhere and you memorize a lot of verses. Mm-hmm. CCD, what that stands for, I can't tell you because I don't remember. CCD? Something, something, doctrination maybe, or... Uh, Doctrine. Doctrin, not doctrination. Well, I mean, they wouldn't use that word. Well, the, Christianity maybe. uses a lot of weird words oh, that yeah, the rest of the world doctrine, doesn't. Doctrine, I'm sure, you know, it's a fine word. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Catholic. You're probably right. Catholic uh, catechism, doctrine? Catholic catechism, doctrine, could be, you know, and doctrine or something. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I have no idea. Not having been a Catholic at any point in my life, it's an experience. Let me tell you. Well, I have dated Catholics, <laughs> well, and so known Catholics know. over the years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so I hear about it. Right, <laughs> right. You hear things. It's uh, uh yeah. I'm I always consider myself fortunate that my parents. Well, my mom never went or cared but uh, my dad uh he sort of lost steam when i was like maybe in the fifth fourth fifth grade around there he just kind of ran out of energy for the you whole see, thing when you're, when, <laughs> we, we didn't when go you're back. the great-grandson of somebody who founded the lutheran churches in this area you, <laughs> well, that's right. you're supposed to know stuff oh bob's got an answer that's, for us confraternity <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a, a good word doctrine that's a good word. Okay. Con- what was that first word? Faithful confraternity. Confraternity. An association of the faithful devoted to the work of Catholic religious education traces its origins. This is the new Catholic encyclopedia I'm starting here. Traces its origins to 16th century Italy. So there you go. Pope right. Paul V. We're teaching you your heritage and you're just studying I'm your listening. laptop. I'm hearing it all. I'm not studying my laptop. I'm pulling up the next thing here. That was fascinating, Bob. Thank you for enlightening me. <laughs> There's no that. charge and this time. Thank you very much. Would you like to learn about Lutheranism? Uh, no, thanks. Okay, well. <laughs> I live in a real small town in Iowa, but Omaha is the, the closest big city to us, so we just say bands from Omaha, because that was the music scene for us. But, uh, yeah, starting, starting years ago, it was just you know putting a band together, playing some shows locally, and, um, you know, I did a recording and ended up getting it on the radio there, and that kind of launched, um, you know, the the success we had there and it was always a great rock scene in Omaha a lot of bands um, you know it was a great place to to really grow and you know learn about music learn about the music scene and you know go through all our 
ups and downs. Um, just just from traveling the country nowadays, I think the Midwest in general is kind of a melting pot for everything. Uh, you know, if you're on the West Coast or you're the East Coast, it seems like, uh, you know, things may be a little bit different. They, they might be ahead of the curve sometimes, but um, with the Midwest, it's like everything is there. You know, it's it's east, west, south, you know, more north. It's it's just a great place to fall in love with music and do what you want to do because yeah. it's not it's not really clicky, I guess. You know, there's a there's no rules. You know, you don't have to fall into a certain scene. Uh and I don't know that that happens anywhere else. I'm just saying the Midwest is really open to everything, you know. They're not really influenced by one certain thing. I mean, if you go coast to coast, you know, like I said, it's like maybe maybe something's real hot then and that's what you know people gravitate towards, but it, it doesn't seem to be the case in the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, for us, I guess it was you know, the indie rock scene was pretty big where we're from because Saddle Creek Records is there and R.O. Verse and Bright Eyes, and they kind of led the way in that movement for quite a while. But the the hard rock scene was good as well. I mean, not too far away is Des Moines, and Slipknot came out of there. So it's just a really diverse place. It was It was a good place for us to really break out of. I knew since I was a real little kid that this is what I wanted to do. I mean, like, young, you know, five years old. I'd, you know, no one in my family was really musically inclined, per se, but my parents uh, listened to rock music, so, you know, I'd, I'd always hear Van Halen and ACDC and stuff like that in the house, and I just instantly loved rock music. And so... You know, I I would have to say, I guess, Eddie Van Halen was one of my early influences because that's who I was exposed to from my parents. But growing up through my teen years, it kind of switched to, you know, like Korn and Slipknot and, you know, of course, Metallica. Um, but there, there's been a, a number of bands that have influenced me personally throughout the years, you know, depending on, you know, how old I was growing up and, you know, what phase I was in. We're appreciative of everything. We're grateful to be out here. And so the, the whole thought of getting to do what we love to do is really, you know, what's special to us. There really hasn't been one defining moment on tour because, you know, we, we, we handle it kind of the same no matter where we're at, whether that's you know, playing in front of one person or like Chicago Arabs. I mean, who knows how many people, thousands, you know. Right. You but know. we haven't made it yet, you know, and we will never have that mindset. You know, if we have 10 buses, we won't say we made it yet. It's <laughs> you know, my thought process and, and everyone else's, you know, you, you got to keep going. You got to keep pushing forward and you can always get better. Someone messaged our band page the other day and say that we saved his life, you know, and told me a story of what was going on. And for me, it's like, I, you know, it's hard to even wrap my mind around that because, you know, although we're writing songs that are real and from the heart and, and stuff like that, um, 
and, and we hope to have a positive impact on people. It's like when we hear stories like that, it's just kind of surreal for us, you know. His music is what's got me through things in life, you know, so I can understand. But when when I'm the one on the other side of the fence and someone's telling me a song I wrote, did that for them, it just seems like I'm in a dream, you know. It's like, wow, that's pretty crazy. I, I can't believe that, you know, something I wrote would have that much of an impact on someone but i'm glad it does you know and for for positive reasons you know regular listeners to the podcast know that as uh, journalists we get all kinds of weirdo press releases sent to us and then we discuss them and play a game uh with them in a segment I call Press Releases of the Damned. Press Releases of the, the Damned. Damned. We need to get music for this. We do. Okay, so I've got I've got you guys saying that. I'm going to isolate that audio, and we're going to come up with some kind of music and add that into it. Oh, this is good. The way we play Press Releases of the Damned is I read you part of a press release, and then your job is to try and guess or use deductive reasoning, in John's case, uh, what uh, this is a press release for. So we're testing the abilities of the PR people who send these to us. So, everyone ready? I have insight because I are one. That's true. Yeah. That is true. I wonder if one of yours will ever show up in press releases of the damned. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> Knowing okay. what I know about press releases of the damned, it seems, and John's press releases, I can tell you that's very likely. <laughs> okay. Here we go. You're my coach, too. You know, you, know, <laughs> you know it. I'm reaching out to introduce you to Myra Burst, a safe, natural, and thrilling way for teenagers to blank. Teens can pop a mirror burst tablet, let it melt on their tongues, and what? So what is this a press release for? No looking on your phone. Some kind of energy uh, um, booster. Um, that's all so I the understand. energy booster, the that's, energy, your, energy that's your boost, You know, yes. like five-hour energy or something like that. Okay. It sounds like the certs of my time. So a, a breath. A breath. Freshener. Breath freshener. So we've got energy uh, booster and breath freshener. Here's the full press release. I'm reaching out to, inter- to introduce you to Myra Burst, a safe, natural, and thrilling way for teenagers to trip. <laughs> that sounds like an energy booster to me. <laughs> John, Did they send I think I win. <laughs> uh, teens can pop a Myra Burst. It's M-I-R-A, so however that's, I don't know if it's Myra Burst or Myra Burst. Teens can pop a tablet, let it melt on their tongues, and revel as they enter an alternate reality in which anything sour or acidic tastes super sweet. Dude. Oh, well, that does sound like the certs of your day. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think we both got that. Suddenly, lemons and limes taste like candy, lemon water tastes like lemonade, and Greek yogurt like ice cream. The possibilities are endless. Far up. It goes on. Oh, head, head to any teen club, music festival, or even a house party on a Friday or Saturday night, and chances are you'll find a handful of young men and women covered in sweat, pupils large, proclaiming their love of everything and everyone around them. Yeah, but that has nothing whatsoever to <laughs> that do is with ecstasy. the Can I just say that is not mirror birth? These, well, these teens are high on Molly or MDMA, referred to as a pure form of ecstasy. The drug is increasingly popular and accessible for teens and is often packaged in brightly colored packets to appeal to the teenage demographic. I love how this now, release is, is touting uh, <laughs> you can enjoy this very cool thing, right? which is also illegal in many countries. You know. <laughs> well, but it sounds like this tablet that they're selling is basically sugar. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
anything sour or acidic tastes super sweet. Southern lemons and limes taste like candy. I mean, yeah, if Sounds you like take a lemon, pill. you got a bunch sugar of sugar pill. on your tongue. That's all it is. Yeah. It's a sugar tablet. Did it's you get well. samples? I'm, can we I'm get? Really... Can we? No, get this is an for... email submission, that's so no bad. samples. Sometimes okay. we do get samples sent to us, but uh, we didn't with this one. Okay, but that's how we pray. I would like to see a placebo study on this. <laughs> I'm died with sugar pills for 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 what uh, for Smarties because that's basically <laughs> what <laughs> what these are. <laughs> but that's how we play press releases of the damned. That was really fun. That was a real trip, sir. So you're also here to talk about uh, the Frank Center's uh, Dr. Chivago showing. So go ahead and fill us in on that. Well, every year the Frank Center shows a film, uh, usually a very special film, such as Gone with the Wind, or um, last year we showed uh, Some Like It Hot, uh, one of the great comedies. Uh, This year, uh, this Saturday on April 8th, uh, at the Frank Center in the evening, starting at 7 o'clock, uh, we will be showing Dr. Zhivago on the big screen. Um, this is uh, one of those movies that is really should be seen on the big screen because it's, it's a very lush, uh, romantic, and interesting historical film. Um, takes place in the early part of the 20th century. Those of you who are familiar with the Russian Revolution, uh, and of course I am, um, We'll be fascinated by how that is the backdrop for this uh, great romantic tale starring uh, Omar Sharif and Julie Christie. Um, and we're going to have a number of things that go along. It's not just the movie. We're doing a number of things to go along with it. Uh, we have uh, a series of uh, special fundraising efforts. Uh, we have a gift basket that you can buy a chance for uh, that will have a lot of things related to the movie and to Russian culture. Uh, Jim Craycraft, who is a Russian expert uh, in Marshall, has been helping us out with that. Uh, Nancy Craycraft, his wife, has been helping me and coordinating this whole effort. We're going to have a vodka pull instead of a wine pull. I don't know if you know what a wine pull is, but we're going to replace the wine with vodka this time around. Is this anything like a beer flight? Uh, um, could be. Could be, <laughs> if you like. You know, you essentially, you, you take your chance. Uh, we have 20, 25 different bottles of vodka, and you pay down, uh, $20, and you might get mm, a, a so-so vodka, but you might get a very good bottle of vodka out of mm. that. Uh, we have several really good bottles of vodka in the mix. Uh, then there will be a drawing for a uh, two passes, two VIP passes to the Field of Flight here in Battle Creek um, later on this year. Uh, in June, I believe. Is that uh, late uh, May? Fourth or of July weekend. Yeah, Fourth of July. There, there you go. Uh, and then the big prize is uh, a chance uh, to win a... Um, uh, stay for two at uh, the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Oh. And so that'll be a big deal. That's something that we've liked to do in the past. When we showed um, Somewhere in Time, um, we had a Grand Hotel package. Appropriately. Oh, yes. And uh, this year is no exception. It's a very romantic movie, so we figured that this would be a wonderful thing to have. And our thanks go to the folks at the Grand Hotel who have donated this prize. As a, oh, go ahead, Bob. Looks like you were saying something. No, I'm good. Oh, okay. And uh, it, the doors will open at 6, and uh, things will get underway at 7. But that gives people an hour to um, get their tickets and things like that. There will be an intermission. Uh, for half an hour, we'll be serving beverages and uh, refreshments and uh, last chance to buy your tickets, and then all the drawings will be done after the movie. Uh, people ask me if they can buy things in advance, uh, and unfortunately, no. You have to be present to buy the tickets and to win. 
As I said before we started recording, my parents revealed to me that their first date was to Dr. Shivago at the yeah. Battle Creek Auto Theater, yeah. which was a drive-in that used to exist here. You owe your very so, existence I to think, Boris Pasternak. And I have not seen this movie, so maybe I should go and, and see what see what the, all the all the fur, furor is about. So. Well, once you see the movie, furor, that's a wow. <laughs> that was what furor? Furor. 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 So. Um, I was just really disappointed that you didn't do the whole promotion for the event in your Russian accent, for which you were too. Do you too want Russian <laughs> accent? I do Russian accent for you. Yeah, Boris Pasternak told me himself that I had a lousy Russian accent. Uh, I had I had an awesome point. It was going to blow everyone away. What about that? We'll say it in a Russian accent. Right. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Uh, well, the only Russian accent I could do is copying Chekhov from Star Trek, which it was not an actual Russian accent. It was just something the actor made up. So. It, it pretty much was. He always yeah. said uh, W's for V's and things like that. Right. It's really a very, very soft B. And, you know, it's something I learned while uh, trying to cop my own version. Of course, there are various Russian accents. I just like there are many, many English accents. Right. Um, but I just, you know. Studied. Stu- I went online. <laughs> I went on YouTube and found guys who said, "Here's how you do Russian accent." And most and several of them were Russian. So I figured, you know, okay. So one of them, Steve Bannon. Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> wow. So, uh, <laughs> no. The Frank Center does a lot of cool film presentations, and yeah. uh, I I kick myself because I missed the Blues Brothers one, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, so we had a lot of fun for that. Uh, night. That would have been great to see on the big yeah. screen. Um, if you ever do Ghostbusters, there was talk one time of me hosting some kind of yes, we did talk uh, about presentation. That. It, could, it and, could happen, but so we've chosen our films for 2018 already, oh, and you'll okay. just have to wait till. Right. And unfortunately, Ghostbusters is not one of them. Maybe for the 50th anniversary. Yeah, we'll that's not a bad <laughs> idea, though. It's did not it came out in '85. It came out in '84. That's what I meant. '84. Yeah. Yep. So yep. 2019 would be 35 years. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So there we go. So now we'll make a note of it. <laughs> All right. My only Russian accent is "Give to me large kiss." <laughs> uh, if people want to find out more about both the Magic Museum and the Frank Center events, where do they go? Okay. Well, we're online, of course. Uh, AmericanMuseumOfMagic.org or .com. I think either one will get you to the <laughs> right place. If one doesn't work, try the other one. Yes, please. Well, I do think it's org. Uh, and FrankCenterForTheArts.com. We'll get you to the main website. Frank uh, with an E. Frank with an E is very correct. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, we do have phone numbers. Uh, I don't have the one for the museum in front of me, unfortunately. So uh, no. that we might have to look that up. People are on their computers or phones as they're listening to this, so they don't need a phone number anyway. They can That's just true. type That's it into true. their device. So Exactly. Speaking of finding people on devices, Mr. Robert Warner, where are you on social media? R. Warner BCE on Twitter. And if you uh, don't like something about us, something about the paper, <laughs> something uh, call me uh, up. the website, uh, go find Bob and tell him. <laughs> it's been his specialty lately is dealing with those calls. So uh, I am on social. I am on Twitter at am underscore Fitzpatrick. I can be reached also online through my own that's right. website, mysteryvisits.com, mysteryvisits.com. Uh, JCS at mysteryvisits.com will reach me. Now, do you still um, do Sherlock Holmes for hire, or is that? 
I arranged for Mr. Holmes to make appearances, if that's what you're That is what I'm referring to. to. Yes, 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 of course. Mr. Holmes does make personal appearances around the area uh, and uh, has has done so in 10 different states in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also in the U.K. He was seen in London just this past November. I think I saw Uh, some photos of that. uh, You may have, indeed. He was near Parliament on one occasion and also on Baker Street. Really, you think he'd show up in London a lot more than he shows up in Western Michigan, well, but since such are the retired, mysteries of the consulting detective. Since he retired in Ought 3, uh, oh, excuse me, that's 19 Ought 3, <laughs> right. uh, he has frequented his own estate in Sussex. Uh, I know that Mr. Uh, Ian McKellen arranged for Mr. Holmes to make a film about his uh, retirement uh, recently. Oh, that, that's that right. film yeah, called yeah, Mr. Yeah. Holmes. Um, but uh, I arrange for him to make personal speaking engagements, and you'll be surprised at how often Americans want Mr. Holmes to speak to them. Well, and if, if you want Mr. Holmes to speak to you, you can go to the website John mentioned and uh, find out more or about to, that. Or to SherlockVisits.com. Okay. But I, I can't keep up with all of uh, yes. <laughs> Well, this. Mr. Holmes is a busy man. That's right. Uh, thank you for listening, and if you want to listen to more Inquire podcasts, including ones that... Uh, don't feature me at all. <laughs> you can find them at... There uh, are such things. <laughs> there are. There are oh, several. thank God. <laughs> Those are at soundcloud.com slash inquirepodcasting. And before you turn off your device, watch, listen, or read something about inquire.com. <laughs>